What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the 20th episode of Wise Guys Hideaway. Can you believe it, motherfuckers? We already hit 20. 20 and counting. Today I'm going to be talking about uh, another very low-key, sort of, under-the-radar type of organized crime figure. I mean, not always, you know what I mean? Obviously, these guys either end up in a body bag or, you know, they end up doing 100 fucking years. Very few get to retire and die of natural causes in their bed, but there are there are a few. However... This will not be one of them, but Joe Adonis. Now, Joe Adonis was not born Joe Adonis. He was born Giuseppe Antonio Dotto on November 22nd, 1902, and he was born in the Kingdom of Italy. Believe it or not, who'd have thought, right? But before we get into him, I got to give a couple quick shout-outs here. Got to give a shout-out to all the guys over there at Arthing Clothing Apparel, David Randazzo, Ronnie Cockroach, you know, all the boys. Another big shout-out goes to my boy Gunnar Lindblom, the author of To Be a Kings, Volume 1 and 2, and also the proprietor of the YouTube show My Thing, which is, uh, is it, I mean, it, it's a great it's a great bit, you guys. Click over there on YouTube and uh, see what's happening. Another quick shout-out to Scott M. Bernstein, the author of Motor City Mafia, as well as Larry Mazza, the author, the author, author, the author of The Life. And, I mean, just all the guys in the groups on Facebook, all my friends and family, you know, who... I mean, you guys, without you guys, I mean, I definitely, definitely would have never, you know, been doing this, nor would I probably even be here. So big shout out to all you guys. Love you guys. But uh, let's get into this here. Now, as I said, Joe Adonis was born Giuseppe Antonio Dotto, uh, you know, November 22nd, 1902. And his parents, Michael Dotto and Marie DeVito Dotto, were, uh, were hardworking, you know, Italian folk, you know, just run-of-the-mill blue collar. I mean, they would have three other sons also, Antonio, Ettore, and uh, Jacino. And, I mean, I'm uncertain about what happened to the other three. I do believe one became a criminal as well, but it might just be Giuseppe or, you know, Joe Adonis, as we're, as we're saying, uh, that became a, a member of La Cosa Nostra. But he did become a key figure in La Cosa Nostra. He's, uh, he sort of is just there for a lot of very pivotal, pivotal moments in the birthing of uh, the modern American mafia. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he was quite as, you know, influential or, you know, charismatic or, I mean, even as uh, crucial as someone like a Lucky Luciano or uh, Albert Anastasia or, you know, a Vito Genovese or something like that. But he definitely was a, an immense, immense moneymaker and um, I'm just a very sharp dresser. In 1909, his family immigrates to New York City, as so many were doing during this time period, and uh, almost instantly, I mean, like right off the boat, you guys, Adonis begins stealing and uh, pickpocketing and, you know, robbing cart vendors and, you know, just get, getting into trouble, you know what I mean? Just uh, doing that, you know, boys will be boys, as they'd say, you know? I mean, who, who would think, you know, just because you're stealing some fruit off a cart one day that you'll be putting two bullets in somebody's head, you know, just a half a decade down the road. But, hey, what are you going to do? Now, it's during this time period that Adonis befriends the, you know, one of the most infamous figures in organized crime, Charles Lucky Luciano, and another gangster by the name of Sedimo Arcadi. And uh, that's when he really begins to learn, like, the numbers racket and, you know, running running dice games and, uh, you know, the extortion and, you know, protection and, you know, that whole, that whole nine. So that, that's kind of like his bread and butter for the first little while. But then in January of 1920, the 18th Amendment, the Constitution, prohibition, which is the illegality of manufacturing 
and distributing alcohol takes effect. And guys, I mean, these these fucking two-bit gangsters just blew up overnight. Now, Adonis, as well as Luciano, Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, you know, I mean, re- really most of New York right out of the gate is uh, is all, you know, backed and, you know, kind of put on a put on a sort of payroll for, you know, the one, the only Arnold the Brain Rothstein. And the bootlegging era, I mean, really starts to get underway. Now, it's around this time Arnold Rothstein sort of convinces uh, Giuseppe to Americanize himself, you know, dress sharp, you know, speak eloquently, mind your manners at the table, you know, chew with your fucking mouth closed, you know, he, he sort of turned all these, you know, modern day ruffians into, into gentlemen and sort of helped them Americanize themselves so that they could really get a foothold in to, I mean, not, not only just like, you know, the legal side of running a city, but also the politicians, the cops, the labor unions. I mean, Arnold Rothstein really set the precedent for these guys. And I mean, and Luciano was his sort of his golden boy, if you will. But I mean, Rothstein also did have a pretty good admiration for Adonis as well, because Adonis, I mean, he knew, he knew how to handle finances. He knew the ins and outs. He was, he, he was a very good numbers guy. Like, I mean, he just, he just had it, whatever it is with the whole, you know, numbers in your head, he had it. Now, he begins going by Joe Adonis. Uh, now, he chose Adonis because it, it's the Greek god of beauty and desire. Now, I didn't know that until uh, I was looking into Joe the other day. And uh, I found that kind of funny because he, he did always fancy himself, you know, sort of a looker. I mean, ladies fancied him a looker as well. But he always dressed to the nines. I mean, for as low-key as he flew and, like, as under the radar as he kept himself, he, uh, he definitely was a, a sharp dresser. Now, Adonis ends up marrying his wife, uh, Jean, and the pair will have four kids total, Joseph, Maria, Anne-Marie, and Elizabeth, and I mean, that's just sort of the era, you know, like, big families, like, you just had to see, you had to spread, you know, your legacy, you had to spread your family name, and I mean, back then, you never really could account if, you know, one was going to live through childbirth, or if one wasn't going to catch polio, or the Spanish influenza, or, you know, I mean, if, if, you know, like, people being born in this day and age, I mean, they run that risk for, uh, the coronavirus, and speaking of the coronavirus, I hope everybody's holding strong, hope everybody's doing good, and, you know, just surrounding yourself with the people you love, and the people you care about, if you don't got to be out, don't be, I mean, unless you're, you know, sort of secluding yourself, so, you know, your backyard, your parks, I mean, get outside, it's good for you, just, you know, stay the fuck out of Walmart, god, I hate going there, Anywho's, during the 1920s, uh, Joe Adonis becomes an enforcer for the notorious Frankie Yale, and it's through Frankie Yale that Adonis will first meet Al Capone shortly before he, uh, you know, heads to Chicago. So it's actually not during uh, the 1920s. It's, uh, I'm sorry, it'd be 1919 that Adonis began working for Frankie Yale, which would actually be just a little prior to Prohibition. So fuck that up on my notes, guys. Check one for me. But nonetheless. I mean, you, you get where I'm coming from. You know, Adonis was brushing shoulders with all these guys, Luciano, Capone, I mean, you name it. Now, eventually, Adonis, you know, sort of binds himself with Luciano, and the two sort of become like a pair. And that's when Adonis becomes an enforcer for Joe the Boss Mazzaria, who was Luciano's boss at the time. However, Luciano's unhappy with the Castamalasi Wars, uh, and eventually wants it to all be over. I mean, you know, from the, the dawn of Prohibition, you know, until... Luciano makes his moves. 
I mean, the bloodshed, you guys, was just all over the fucking city. They were just shooting each other and blowing each other up. And it was like, it was like the Wild West with, with motorcades and Thompson submachine guns. I mean, I, I tell you. And for as bad as New York was, you couldn't shake a stick at Chicago. But nonetheless, I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere around, you know, Brownsville, Brooklyn, or, you know, uh, different parts of Queens, you know, lower Manhattan, fucking any, anywhere like that during this prohibition era. I mean, who am I kidding? Yeah, I would have, but I probably wouldn't have made it. I'd probably be dead as fuck. <laughs> but eventually Luciano sort of builds a regime. And on April 15th, 1931, Adonis Alon, along with Vito Genovese, Albert Anastasia, and Bugsy Siegel, all uh, bombard Joe the Boss Mazzaria uh, during a lunch meeting that he and Luciano are having. Charlie's uh, excused himself to the restroom during a hand of pea knuckle after their meal, and Joe the Boss is just sort of sitting there, you know, looking at his hand and, you know, feeling probably, probably feeling quite well about himself. He just ate a big old meal. He was a gluttonous fella, very slobbingly, and uh, the three burst in, or excuse me, the four burst in, and, I mean, just pumped umpteen rounds into this guy, and uh, he's actually the infamous picture you see where there's a man laid out and there's an arm, a bloody outstretched arm and it's holding and it's two fingers, the ace of spades. That was actually a a police detective who arrived on the scene, uh, placed the ace of spades in uh, Joe the boss's hand. And uh, that's how that became an infamous picture. Now, Luciano did all this. And I mean, Adonis and all them went along with him because they were believing that they were in cahoots with uh, the other big-time Sicilian gang boss at the time, Salvatore Maranzano. And the deal was, Luciano said he would help take out Joe the Boss, but he wanted to take over Joe the Boss's family, or Borgata, as they called it, and there'd be no more capo di capi, our boss of bosses. And Sal- Salvatore Maranzano agrees. But then as soon as the hit's done and, you know, the deed's done and he holds a meeting and he and he declares himself the capo di capi, the boss of all bosses, he does fulfill his promise to Luciano about allowing him to take over Mazaria's family or Borgata, but that Luciano still didn't want any boss of bosses. He wanted to Americanize the entire La Cosa Nostra. You know, unlike in Sicily, where there is a capo duty copy, one boss of, you know, even though there might be three or four crime syndicates working, you know, Sicily or, or different spots in Italy or whatever, there is one top ruler. But Luciano wanted, you know, like a panel, like a, you know, a commission. That's exactly what they ended up calling it, but... Yeah, like a commission, like a board of directors, you know what I mean? Like a, a group of people that oversee everything that happens in the in the underworld. And so on September 10th, 1931, uh, Salvatore Maranzano was killed. Uh, Luciano arranges for four Jewish uh, gangsters to bombard him at his lower Manhattan office and uh, stab, shoot, and strangle him. Um, they were disguised as taxmen, which is why he didn't suspect them when they, uh, when they came in to, to do him in. Now, Luciano forms the commission, and Adonis becomes a, a, a key figure, a, a very big money maker in the Luciano family, and, uh, uh, qu- I mean, quite a dangerous enforcer as well, and uh, eventually he is made uh, a capo regime, and I mean, I mean, you can see his name's literally, all, I mean, all over these early, early days in the bootlegging era, and, you know, the thir- in the 30s and the 40s, and I mean, you see Joe Adonis everywhere. He was rubbing shoulders with everybody. I mean, he kept so many police and politicians on his payroll that it was, forget about it. Uh, Not only that, he was in cahoots with the notorious Murder Incorporated, which they'll be given their own episode, but Murder Incorporated was the enforcement branch of the mafia when Luciano first started the commission and the whole board of directors. And uh, 
what it was was it was a combination of Jewish, you know, and Italian, Sicilian, Italian, you know, gangsters who, when an order would arise, they would be at their rendezvous, their headquarters, which was a, which was a 24-hour candy store in Browns, Brownsville, Brooklyn. And, you know, somebody would answer the phone, they'd get the order, and then they'd decide who would be best to do the hit. I mean, Adonis played a big role in it. Siegel played a very big role in it. Uh, Albert Anastasia is said to have headed it at one point, uh, and that's where he gained the nickname Lord High Executioner. I mean, Bugsy Siegel, Abe Kid Twist Relis, Harry Happy Mayone. I mean, we'll go down the rabbit hole murder ink on a different episode. But nonetheless, they, from from their from their founding, you know, what shortly after the commission's formed, 1931, and up until probably into the early 40s, uh, they're said to have killed anywhere from 600 to 1,200 people. It's the the number's unknown. And uh, the one person who was gonna become a turncoat on Murder, Inc., uh, mysteriously fell out a window when two guards happened to be away from their post. And it was called the canary that could sing but couldn't fly. So, and that was Abe Kid Twist Relis. And like I said, we'll, uh, we'll dabble into Murder, Inc. Uh, further down the road. Now, on April 27, 1940, uh, Donis is indicted on a kidnap and extortion and assault charge from a 1932 Jufi Wapinski case where... He had had a sort of a, a disagreement or a, a grudge, if you will, with an individual. Kidnapped, beat, and uh, essentially got what he wanted in the first place out of them. And wouldn't hear shit about it until in the fucking late April in, the ni- in 1940. Now, I mean, the, the case was eventually dismissed in fe- on February 24th, 1941. But that was one of Adonis' first real, uh, sh- like, the light getting shined on him. You know, he wasn't used to that. He uh, he had flown so under the radar. And, you know, by the time this is all happening, I mean, Luciano's the biggest thing in the newspapers. And, I mean, you got Capone in Chicago. So, I mean, I'm sure it kind of threw Adonis uh, when he was, you know, first indicted and, you know, put through the judicial process. And, you know, was, I mean, probably looking at some real time if that case hadn't got dismissed. Shit, I mean, fuck, kidnapping, extortion, and assault. I mean, you're probably doing at least a five-piece. I mean, with with good connections too, but like, I mean, you never. I mean, probably not back then. He probably wouldn't have got nothing either way. Now, during the '40s, uh, Donis expands his gambling rackets, and I don't just mean in New York. I mean, he expands to Jersey, and he partners with Meyer Lansky in a series of illegal casinos in Florida. Um, soon after that, February 10th, 1946, Luciano is deported. Then, December 1946, Adonis and Luciano meet at the infamous Havana Conference in Cuba, which is where they begin to discuss, you know, their plots and their plans in Cuba because, you know, the, the, the fascists want them out and they need to somehow, you know, that's when, uh, well, what was his name? Batista. That's when, uh, Batista's, uh, reign is sort of beginning and he wanted to, or it might've been Castro. I don't know. I'm very tired. You guys, I, I thought it was, I thought it was Batista, but it could have been Castro that was moving in at that point. I, I apologize for uh, not being exact on that. But either way, the mob was losing uh, Havana, Havana, Cuba, which they had an immense amount of casinos. And you guys, I mean, they had millions coming in through Cuba and they were not happy about it. Now, with Luciano's high profile, eventually, you know, everything gets found out. Luciano's deported back to Italy again. And everybody's name sort of just sent through the hat. Lansky will do a good job sort of like, you know, ducking the blinds and, you know, only popping up when need be. But uh, Adonis begins to sort of feel the, the, the come down of organized crime. On December 12th, 1950, Adonis is summoned before the Senate uh, Kivaver Commission. 
And, I mean, he pleads the fifth over and over again, you guys. But, however, he has become nationally exposed because it's televised. It's, you know, and even though you're pleading the fifth over and over and over again, that wasn't good for him to become exposed in that sense. Now, May 1951, Adonis and his associates pleaded no contest to gambling charges. So, on May 28, 1951, Adonis is given two to three years in prison. Now, during, during the stretch, Adonis is deported on January 3rd, 1956. And, I mean, excuse me, after, after his bid, Adonis is deported on January 3rd, 1956. Uh, that was after a hearing, which was held on August 6th, 1953. So they, they had planned three years prior to, to kick this son of a bitch, you know, out of the country as soon as, you know. Now, his wife and his children stayed behind in Jersey because, I mean, they were probably better off here. They could, he could, you know, afford them a better life. Um, soon after that, on January 26, 1962, Luciano dies in Naples. Um, Adonis, uh, sends a very, very expensive floral wreath that reads, so long, pal. And thus sort of dies in, you know, dies the era. Because, I mean, Adonis sort of just, like, flies under the radar and, like, manages, you know, a, a handful of gambling rackets, sort of third party, if you will. And then in November 1971, the Italian government is just really hounding Adonis and trying to indict him on everything, this, that, and the other. And uh, during an interrogation, he actually succumbs to a heart attack. And on November 26, 1971, Joe Adonis passes away at the age of 69. Now, I mean, say what you will, but this guy did it right. I mean, it's still, it still didn't play out in the end, but hey, what do they say? Crime doesn't pay. But nonetheless, from some of the dossiers you'll read, you guys, Joe Adonis is, did lived a, a pretty swell life up until those, you know, sort of them golden years they should have been. But it's never the golden years when you're in the mob. Well, from all of us here at Wise Guys Hideaway, I want to thank you for making 20 episodes one of the best fucking times of my life. And I also want to let you know that this will be the last episode that is just strictly recording. I have set up a YouTube channel. And I plan to uh, broadcast video as well as still do the audio from uh, here on out. So from all of us here at Wise Guys Hideaway, stay safe. We love you. Have a good one.